Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Center for Baptist Renewal podcast. I'm Matt Emerson. I'm one of the board of directors at CBR, and I'm joined today for our first episode by Luke Stamps, who is otherwise known as my soul friend. Uh, the Center for Baptist Renewal is a group of Orthodox Evangelical Baptists committed to retrieving the great tradition for the renewal of Baptist faith and practice. And if you enjoy what you hear today, we want to invite you to check out our website at centerforbaptistrenewal.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at, at Baptist Renewal and on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Baptist Renewal. And also don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about this amazing new YouTube page. Uh, in today's show, we, this is the first episode ever. And this is the first episode that Luke and I have ever hosted ourselves of anything. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but in today's show, we want to introduce the work of the center and to begin a conversation about a statement that we put together that sort of guides the work that we do. And it's what we've called a manifesto for evangelical Baptist Catholicity. So before we jump into all of that, uh, I do want to just take a minute to share how CBR started. Some of you who are listening or watching uh, have followed us and followed the work of Baptist Renewal on Twitter or Facebook for a while. But you may be listening or watching and, and you haven't heard of us before. You just saw somebody share this. So um, just to give you a brief introduction of, of where we're coming from, Luke and I worked together at California Baptist University from 2012 uh, through 2015. And during that time, we just realized that we had a lot of shared interests in historical theology, in uh, liturgical practices and worship, in, in retrieving both uh, historical practices and doctrinal statements and, and ways of doing theology. So we realized that we had some shared interests other than Auburn football, which is the primary shared interest in the fact that we're from the great state of Alabama. And so we started to talk about what would it look like to try and help our fellow Baptists also appreciate the things that we appreciate. Uh, in, in doing so, we presented a paper at ETS in 2014 on what it would look like for Baptists and particularly Southern Baptists, because uh, we both teach in the Southern Baptist context, what would it look like for Baptists to consider the Catholicity of the church, that is the visible unity of the church. And in presenting that paper, we were also, uh, we were also introduced to Brandon Smith and Winston Hotman, who were both at Criswell College at the time and who both shared the same interests as us. And we just talked about what it would look like to start a center that fostered Baptists retrieving the great tradition. And we'll get to some of these terms and what they mean here in a minute. Uh, but from there in 2014, we, we began talking, dreaming, thinking, um, brainstorming together uh, about what a center would look like, what we would want it to do, who we want involved with it. And uh, we launched it in the spring of uh, 2017. So that's a very brief uh, intro to, to CBR. And so, um, Luke, if you want to maybe talk for a minute just about the work of the center, our mission, vision, values, what all these weird words I'm using mean, like Catholicity, right. retrieval. Yeah, I mean, maybe that would be a good place to start, is just kind of thinking about some of the terms that we use. I know sometimes we, we use the term Baptist Catholicity. We're not the only people who have used that term um, as a way of describing what it would what it would look like for Baptists which let's just be honest have historically 
been relatively sectarian in some of our worst expressions where we sort of think that we're the only ones doing it right, right? And, and that's tied to a whole history um, of, of Baptists sort of si seeing themselves as separate. Um, and in some ways we are. Uh, our Baptist distinctives make us distinct from the rest of the church in some ways. Uh, but other Baptist groups have also wanted to say, um, what, is, what, what, would it, what would it look like for us to better position ourselves um, in the one body of Christ, the universal church across space and time and denominations and so on? And so that's what Catholicity means for us. I know a lot of people hear that, and the first thing they think is Roman Catholic. Right. And that's not what we mean by that at all. We're using this term um, in the older sense uh, of the word, um, which basically just means according to the whole. Right. And so uh, it's the church um, across work, sort of worked through the whole of history and the whole world. And so it's basically another way of describing uh, the universal church. And so we, we as Baptists have a lot to learn as we. Um, again, better position ourselves as a renewal movement within the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, as one of the early creeds puts it. So Catholicity uh, is just a way of expressing that, that oneness of the church. Um, another part of our, of our sort of mission statement, um, the way that we, the, the way we sort of conceive what we're about, um, and this, this, this phrase is, is not original to us, others have used it even in a Baptist context, but the idea of retrieval for the sake of renewal. You know, one of our uh, heroes uh, in the Baptist world is Timothy George, who's often used that, that language. Um, the, this idea that we're retrieving the past, uh, looking to the past uh, in terms of how Christians uh, previously have understood and interpreted scripture. So the history of interpretation is a part of that and how they have formulated doctrine, uh, how they have worshiped, uh, how they have practiced spirituality. So retrieval is not just a sort of egghead theology thing, but it's actually is thinking about what, what have Christians done across space and time uh, in terms of their faith and practice. Uh, so retrieving that uh, for the purposes of contemporary renewal. So it's not just sort of a, a kind of uh, detached historical study. Uh, that kind of historical study is important. Uh, but but what we're interested in in terms of retrieval is not just a detached uh, study of the past, but actually uh, bringing the past into the present, so to speak, uh, seeing it as fertile soil for the renewal of the contemporary church. Um, and you know we're not we don't we're not under any illusions to think that that it's sort of over to us to renew the entire Baptist movement. The, the Baptist church is vibrant in many ways, and we celebrate all the ways that. Baptists continue to, to do the work of the gospel in preaching and in worship and in theological education and in missions preeminently has been a part of our DNA. Um, so we're not pretending that, you know, the Baptist movement is somehow dying in need of our efforts to revive it. But, but every movement this side of heaven is always in need of, of more, you know, renewal, more reformation, uh, more um, life uh, and more light from the word. And so that's what we envision here is to see the, the Christian past as a, a kind of fertile soil for thinking about what, what would it look like uh, to renew the faith in the present. And another way of describing that, another term that we use in our mission statement, um, is that we're retrieving the great tradition. Um, Matt, why don't, why don't you uh, just kind of reflect a little bit on what that means? What do, what do we mean when we talk about 
retrieving the great tradition, capital G, capital T, um, great tradition. Well, uh, you know, we should say that different groups can mean slightly different things by it, but in the, in the broadest possible sense, we just mean the, um, the theological consensus of the church and the common practices, worship practices of the church throughout space and time. So for, for doctrine, we're talking about the major doctrines of Christianity, Trinity, Christology, um, the broad strokes of soteriology and even ecclesiology with common practices. We're talking about worship practices that virtually every church throughout space and time has uh, had prayer, Bible reading and preaching uh, the Lord's supper. So when we, when we talk about the great tradition um, you can, you can get into some controversy uh, with respect to how various other groups use that term in more specific ways but we're really just talking about as broadly as possible um, the common beliefs and practices of the church throughout space and time. Mm. Uh, and, you know, one way to summarize that is the three doctrinally, at least is the three ecumenical creeds and the seven ecumenical councils. Um, and with respect to worship practices, like I said, is, you know, the, the, the big ones, prayer, Bible table, um, including those and fostering the different ways in which those can be included uh, in local churches. Right. So what's maybe, before we move on, what's maybe an example that we could give of what we mean when we're saying we're talking about retrieving something so that we can renew Baptist life and practice, Baptist thought and practice? Um, because we don't necessarily mean, uh, we can mean that th- something's missing, right? And we actually need to bring it back, but we could also just mean something along the lines of, hey, these people thought well about this particular issue or doctrine, or they, they fostered this practice well, and that would actually help us in this situation today in this way. Yeah. Um, so what's maybe an example that we could give where we're retrieving for the sake of renewing? Yeah, I mean, one obvious place to look, and many churches have incorporated this, is one of the ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, for example that uh, even some Baptist churches, it's not, it's not, you know, historically been a part of our practice to recite the Apostles' Creed in worship. You know, we might see that as a, a Catholic thing or, or, or even a Presbyterian or Methodist thing. Um, but, but in fact, there's no reason why Baptists can't incorporate a recitation of the ancient uh, creeds of the church. They, all, they're, all they're doing is simply expressing in summary form what the Bible teaches uh, as a way of, of giving voice to the whole church to say, this is what we believe. This is our common confession of faith. Um, you know, so, several Baptist authors over the years have noted that Baptists really don't have a distinctive theology. We might have a distinctive ecclesiology, a doctrine of the church, how, uh, you know, we, we especially the, the, the sacrament of baptism that we reserve only for believers uh, and how we order ourselves congregationally and so on. We have some distinctives there. But in terms of the doctrine of Trinity, or of the attributes of God, or of the works of creation and providence, or of the incarnation of the Son of God for the salvation of the world. Uh, those kind of cardinal doctrines, the big ticket items, the ones that are expressed uh, in, in uh, the ecumenical creeds, um, are the common heritage of, of all the faithful, uh, regardless of, of their denominational affiliation. And that's true of us as well. We, we are the inheritors of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, 
And that's really what the tradition is. It's how the faith has been passed down through, through the ages. And so in, in, in even just incorporating something like the Apostles' Creed, uh, that's a way to connect our local congregations, our local Baptist churches, uh, to other Christians around the world today and other Christians down through, uh, through history. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Apostles' Creed has roots in the old Roman Creed, which goes all the way back to the very, very first centuries of the church. And so that's just a way of showing our connection, but it's also a way, um, it's, it kind of has the, that external purpose of, of demonstrating our unity with other Christians, but it also has a way of, of forming and shaping and um, training Christians on what the faith is. How, how are we to think about the Trinity? How are we to think about the incarnation? How are we to think about, as we rehearse uh, the, the drama of the gospel of Christ's uh, uh, conception and birth and his suffering and his death and his burial and his descent and his resurrection and his ascension and his second coming, right? That, those, those are things that are encapsulated in those ancient creeds. So that's one concrete way that, that churches might consider, um, you know, over time with, with due diligence and teaching and preparation, right? You don't want to just drop this on people without any explanation. Uh, but but, but in, slowly incorporating some of the ancient creeds of the church uh, I think is one very practical, concrete way we can begin to express this kind of Baptist Catholicity. Yeah, that's good. So in terms of, you know, laying out what we mean by all this and, and really uh, I think setting a program for what we're trying to foster, uh, Luke and I wrote uh, what we call a manifesto for evangelical Baptist Catholicity. And just a couple of, clarifications. First of all, the word manifesto is not intended to draw specifically on uh, the communist manifesto. We, we've had that comment a couple of times. So I just want to say we're not communist. Um, <laughs> manifesto is just a term that is actually pr- fairly widely used uh, at this point to just say this is a, a, a rather brief, but what we consider to be clear explanation of who we are what we're about, what we believe about a particular topic. And so for us, this is a manifesto about evangelical Baptist Catholicity. What does it mean to be an evangelical Baptist and somebody who is attempting to be Catholic that is visibly united to the whole church of Jesus Christ? Um, So that's one clarification. A second clarification is uh, not about the manifesto at all. We're not sponsored by Starbucks. Uh, it's just late in the afternoon. I'm drinking some Starbucks. In fact, we're not sponsored by anybody, which is why Luke and I have not purchased podcasting microphones and why our voices maybe sound muffled. So that's just an FYI. Uh, we don't it's have spo- we don't have sponsors from Wonder Bread or whatever it is. Uh, but but yeah, that's why we're that's why we're Luddites right now with ear you know not earbuds, not AirPods, and not USB mics and all that. So uh, the the manifesto is is a term that's used to just say, this is a brief explanation of what we believe. And, you know, when, when these kinds of groups crop up, especially honestly in Baptist life, right? Uh, There's questions about what these groups actually believe, what they stand for, what they're about, what they want to talk about. And so we wanted to be very clear. And so we have this 11 point manifesto, and I'm not going to read all of these 11 points right now because we're actually going to have subsequent episode, uh, episodes that walk through each of them. But we start with basically God and his word and then move through uh, the gospel, 
the Reformation sole. We move through the distinctives of the Baptist movement, um, what it would mean to engage with other traditions, um, Catholicity with respect to racial reconciliation, um, the use of confessions and creeds, liturgical practices, ordinances or sacraments, um, the link between creation and redemption, and then the issue of ecumenicity. Um, so that's the basic movement of the manifesto. It's not intended to be a kind of confession of faith. We're not trying to start a new denomination with this. We're not trying to start some kind of external movement where we're separating from everybody else and doing our own thing. That would be the most, it really was the least Baptist thing to do, but it'd be the most kind of culturally Baptist thing to do is to say, we're going to take our ball and go over here. That's not what we're trying to do at all. We're actually just trying to, um, like, like Luke laid out very clearly, trying to retrieve in order to renew in our own context. Um, and so the manifesto is just a statement that helps uh, readers, visitors to our site, et cetera, understand what we're about. And so, Luke, why don't you walk us through uh, Article 1 and, and the first part of that? Yeah, before I jump into the first article, I, I do want to say just that we, you sort of alluded to this, that there are other groups who have uh, picked up on um, the language of Baptist Catholicity and even the language of a manifesto, right? So we, we're in some ways um, building on some work that other Baptist groups have done in the past um, who, who, you know, we don't use this term pejoratively, but, but the their, their theological orientation has been considered more moderate. Like anyone who's familiar with controversies in the Southern Baptist convention might be familiar with that, uh, that terminology. Um, and, you know, we, we, we respect some of the work that they've done, but we want to clearly say what we're trying to do here is not just to uh, mimic um, what these other Baptist groups have done, uh, but instead what we're trying to mark out as a distinctively evangelical expression of Baptist Catholicity. Of course, even even evangelical needs some qualification there, right? Because that's a term that for many has to do with politics and culture. Uh, when we use the term evangelical, we, we're trying to preserve at least some usage of it um, as a theological term, right? As a way of expressing basically conservative Protestantism, right? Uh, or confessional Protestantism uh, that prioritizes uh, the evangel, the gospel, and the necessity of conversion and the priority of missions and evangelism and a commitment to uh, the infallibility of scripture and the inerrancy of scripture and so on. So a, a kind of conservative or, or orthodox uh, expression of, of the Baptist movement that again is, is, is expressing also this, this desire for Catholicity unity with the broader church. And, you know, you helpfully laid out the, the points that we're after here. Again, this is not, as Matt said, a, a confession of faith. There are other confessions of faith that are out there, right? Both of us are members, uh, happily members of Southern Baptist churches, uh, you know, and Southern Baptist Convention committed to the Baptist faith and message. Um, there are other historic confessions that we revere, um, like the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith or the Orthodox Creed of the General Baptists, um, both of those from the 17th century. So we, we highly revere and study those documents. We, we may not ourselves personally subscribe to every single article, uh, but we just want to express that we um, are indebted to a rich confessional tradition as Baptists. That's something that I think was lost for 
a while uh, in the Baptist movement. Uh, this this idea that emerged that we sort of have no creed but the Bible or no creed but Christ. Uh, but but the beginnings of the Baptist movement that wasn't the case uh, for the first um, you know two hundred years of the the Baptist movement. They were perfectly happy and wrote a lot of confessions of faith, both for associations and for churches. And so anyway, we're not trying to displace any of that. We're not trying to create a new confession. This, this is instead a way of carving out um, this one sort of niche in a way, this kind of one expression. Uh, we pray that God will multiply the loaves and the fishes. If others want to rally around this kind of expression of the Baptist uh, cause, the Baptist movement, uh, but just expressing what, what we're about as we think about renewal. So the first article begins, I think, where um, all expressions of faith ought to begin with God and with his word. And so we're just going to read it to you, and then we'll co- sort of explain uh, the parts of it. So it says, We affirm the ontological priority of the triune God and the epistemological priority of his inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Christian faith begins, is carried forth, and ends in God, in his being and works, and is made known to us in Holy Scripture. Now, there's a couple of key words there that are kind of technical words. Maybe not everyone is familiar with the words ontology and epistemology. Um, but, but in very simple terms, what we mean by ontology, it, is, it has to do with, with being, what exists. And epistemology has to do with how we come to know how we know what the truth is, how we're justified in our beliefs, and so on. And so all we're trying to say in this first article is the Christian faith and the Christian life are grounded in terms of its being in God. And in terms of how we come to know God, it's grounded in his word, what he has revealed to us in scripture. And so this first part, we talk about the ontological priority of of God Uh, what we're suggesting is that we don't begin with ourselves. So much of theology, um, so much of ministry practice, so much of church uh, strategies simply simply begins with uh, sort of our own perceived needs and wants and desires and and then sort of moves back to God. What, What we want to suggest is, no, we begin with God because God is the source and the standard and the ground of all being and all truth and all goodness and all beauty. Um, and specifically we're, we're spelling out here that it's not just any God, but it's the triune God, the God who's father, son, and spirit uh, who exists eternally as one God and three persons that this God is the source and standard of everything else that exists. Uh, so that whatever else we say about um, the Baptist church or about uh, the Christian tradition, it ultimately uh, is grounded in God's existence. You know, uh, the late John Webster uh, defined theology as uh, discourse about God and all things in relation to God. And that's a, that's, that's a helpful way of, of, of framing it. And that's really what we're trying to get at here as well. That we're trying to say whatever else we say uh, about the church and its life, uh, it ultimately, ultimately flows from the priority ontologically in terms of being it flows from who God is, who God is eternally uh, in the eternal bliss of the Trinity, uh, father, son, and Holy spirit without any need or lack or, 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 or unfulfilled desire or unfulfilled 
uh, potentiality, but, but, but pure act, pure bliss, um, purely perfect uh, beatitude of God uh, in, in the, the, the blessed Trinity. Um, but then God, out of the free, uh, out of his own free will, his own decision, uh, uh, uncoerced by anyone or anything, uh, decides to create a world, uh, to sustain it, uh, to redeem uh, and to judge and to consummate that world. And so that's what I mean by the being and works of God, that, that, that who God is eternally in himself, and then who, who he has chosen to be uh, in creation um, and, and redemption for our sakes. Those realities are foundational for everything else that follows. So Matt, you, you were going to talk then about um, the second, sort of the second half of that, the epistemological um, for a part of it, but w- was there anything you wanted to follow up on the the first part, the uh, the ontological priority of God? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> I think um, you know what we're what we're saying in in grounding what we're doing in the reality of God is that fundamentally, our our lives exist to live before the face of God. That is quorum Deo. Um, and it's only by virtue of the fact that this one triune God has given faith to us that we can even try to understand it. And so even before we get to God revealing himself, we have to start with God alone is the source of existence. He's the, the only source of life because he himself is life. And in order to, know that God, we first have to recognize that our being is only a reality because of that one trying God. And then we can ask the question, okay, how do we know him? Right. Um, It's not, in other words, it's not a matter epistemologically. That is how we know what we know. It's not a matter of starting with ourselves, collecting data, verifying it, listening to rational arguments and making a decision. Instead, um, and, and this, 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 is, uh, uh, this is conceptually true, even though experientially it feels like what we're doing is sorting things out and making decisions. But what's, what's really actually true is that only by virtue of the fact that God made us and that we have life in him, do we actually exist in such a way that we can even try to know him, think about knowing him, talk about how we know him. So um, we have to start with who God is and who we are in him before we can even talk about how to know him. So now that we've gotten there, how do we know him? Well, we, we know him through his revelation of himself. We can't build a bridge up to him intellectually, experientially, um, relationally. God has to come down to us in revealing himself to us. And so he does this in a number of ways. Um, he, he reveals himself in events and in prophecies. Um, and he, he ultimately reveals himself in the person of his son, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God's being. So um, the ultimate revelation of who God is, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How we understand Jesus and how we understand those events, those previous events uh, in Israel's life, how we understand the prophecies that were given to Israel, um, the words that were spoken to Israel, how we understand 
both what came before Jesus and then how we understand Jesus himself is through the revelation of God in his word, inscripturation, if you want to call it that. So uh, God, the Holy Spirit, inspires the text of scripture both to preserve and interpret those revelations of, of God ultimately found in the personal work of Jesus. So when we talk about scripture, we're not just talking about a book of information. We're actually talking about a book of inspiration that's inspired to interpret what God has done and said in Israel's life and then ultimately in the personal work of Jesus. Um, God, we can know God because God reveals himself to us. That's as simple as we can say it. We can know God because he reveals himself to us. Um, and so when we talk about the epistemological priority of God's word, um, what we're saying is that God has given us the way to know him, to understand him and his acts in the world in the Bible. He's given it to us infallibly. Um, that is, it, it can't be overturned. It can't be superseded. And he's given it to us inerrantly. That is, it's without error. Um, he, he doesn't speak falsely. He doesn't speak false words. He doesn't allow the humans that he inspires to write down scripture to speak false words. Um, because they all point to the word who is God, the son. So when we talk about these two things, that is the ontological priority of God and the epistemological priority of God's word, these are really important because uh, in our explanation of the, of this article on our, our website, uh, what we say is that these offer a common foundation demarcation and goal or tell us, uh, so in terms of a common foundation, this is actually how you start in terms of shared ground to work towards Catholicity with other Christians. In other words, if I want to say, all right, Catholicity is the visible unity of the church and working towards Catholicity is to come together with other Christians who might differ with me in other areas. Where do we start? Well, we start with this common context of worship. That is, we worship the one triune God who has become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we start with a common authoritative source for knowing God, which is the Bible. So we have a common foundation in God and his word. We also have a, a really a, a boundary or a demarcation in these two, um, these two categories. If I'm talking to somebody who doesn't affirm God's triunity who doesn't affirm um, the, the nature of God as he's revealed to us in scripture, then I'm talking to somebody who believes in a different God. And that's not a conversation of Catholicity. That's a conversation of hopefully conversion. It's an evangelistic conversation. Um, conversations within Christian traditions, likewise. Uh, so let's say we're talking to another Trinitarian, Nicene Trinitarian. Uh, at that point we have to ask, do we have, do we share the same foundations epistemologically? So, um, do we share the same convictions regarding Sola Scriptura, for instance? Um, we can still, if we don't, we can still talk to these people about our common bonds, uh, especially doctrinal bonds, but it's going to be difficult to move beyond that if we can't have that same shared epistemological uh, foundation. But finally, these two things give us a common goal or tell us. And so what we're trying to do is worship God rightly as he's revealed himself in his word. That's our goal. And so our goal is to do that, not just with fellow Baptists, but to do that with all Christians and, and to do it with all Christians throughout space and time. And then throughout eternity as well, when we enter in eternity, when Christ returns. 
Um, and so this is this kind of eschatological goal is the one that Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer, that his church would be one, even as he and the father are one. And so we want to, we want to contribute to that movement of the church of Christ becoming one as the son and the father are one. And in order to do that, we've got to start from the same place with other people. We've got to start with the worship of the triune God and the priority of his revelation of himself and his word. Yeah, I think that last point you made is really important. And it's one that we're trying to make in this article about this idea of an end or a telos in God, um, because it really gets at, you know, the, the purpose for which we were made, you know, which I think is really a really important question to ask. I mean, if you, if you, if you had never seen a chair before and you wander upon a chair uh, in order to understand what this is, it might be helpful to know what is it for, right? What is it? What is its use? What's its final end? Um, and the same thing is true uh, for for all beings, all substances. We understand what a thing is, in some ways, by understanding its its end, its purpose, its goal. Um, and what we know from scripture and from Christian reflection down through the centuries is that the purpose and goal of humanity is to glorify God, to know and love God and, and, and hence bring glory to him. Um, and I just think we don't think about that enough. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't think about heaven enough. We don't think about the resurrection enough. We don't think about the second coming enough. Uh, we don't often think about our end. You know, one, one of the, the confessions of faith that, that many people are familiar with, the Westminster, uh, or the, cat, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with the question, what is the, the chief end of man, right? Uh, uh, what, what is the, the final purpose, the final goal of, of humanity? Uh, and it's to, to enjoy God, to, to, what has, is it enjoy or glorify, to glorify, first, to to glorify God, God and, and then to enjoy forever, forever. right? So, so that's the, the purpose of humanity, right? It, it'd be helpful to know that, right? If you, as you wake up in the morning, uh, you think about what am I going to do today? Uh, it will be helpful to know what am I, what am I here for? Like, why do I exist? Uh, and this is why I often tell my students that theology is actually uh, an end in itself. Uh, I, I think that too often Christians believe that theology is sort of um, a means to some other end, right? I mean, theology might be helpful uh, to maybe get Christians going so that they can evangelize their neighbors. But what is it that we're trying to evangelize our neighbors to? Well, it's to God in Christ, right? By the power of the Spirit. And so finally, we're, we're leading people to theology, not necessarily in some cold academic sense, but in the sense that we're, we're reflecting on and speaking of God and all things in relation to God. That's actually the purpose for which we were made, was, was this reflection on God to know and love God that then brings honor and glory to God. And I just think that that's something that, that needs to be recovered, right? A sense, even, sometimes even among those who think that they are all about theology, right? I think that they like to read theology and debate theology. Very often the, the, they, they get stuck on penultimate things rather than the ultimate thing. Uh, they get stuck even on doctrines that may be important, but are not ultimate, right? This is why we debate uh, you know, things related to the order of salvation or election or predestination. None of those things are unimportant. They're re revealed in scripture. But the ultimate end or purpose uh, of theology is God, right? I mean, so the doctrine of God is very often neglected uh, because we get sidelined by all of these other concerns. And, and certainly that's true 
um, you know, more broadly, as we think about the church today, that's often distracted by, uh, you know, politics or cultural debates or whatever. And we've lost God. We've lost a sense of God. God has been, has been eclipsed in our imaginations and our thoughts and our hearts. And so we begin here in order to sort of reorient ourselves to God and his word, right? That, 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 that it see, it might seem superfluous to do that. Well, yes, of course you're Christians. You begin with God and the Bible. Uh, but no, we have to say this and we have to say it with clarity and conviction because we really believe it, right? This really is the most important thing. God and what he's revealed about himself in Christ through the inspired scriptures. Amen. Uh, is there, is there any, you know, I don't know, no, the, one of the reasons why Luke and I wanted to do this initially, and then we got, we roped Brandon and Winston into it in terms of the podcast is because Luke and I talk for probably half an hour at least every day <laughs> and we just, we just chat. So let's go into chat mode for a minute. We've been in agenda mode. Uh, is there anything that, you know, is there anything that we should point out that we've talked about? you know, that we get common questions about or that people will say, wait a minute, aren't you guys Roman Catholics or, you know, whatever. Um, so is there anything that we haven't discussed in terms of either the center or the manifesto in general or article one, um, that we should come back to and just say, Hey, just to clarify for people who might have a misunderstanding of what we're doing, this is actually what we mean by these things. So I'll start and you already said it, but Catholicity doesn't mean Roman Catholic. And talking to Roman Catholics doesn't make us Roman Catholic either. Uh, so or reading, you know, you know or reading, reading Roman, Roman Catholics. Catholics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, in fact, especially for, uh, especially maybe for our more Reformed Baptist friends, um, if reading somebody from another denomination makes you a part of that other denomination, then all y'all would be Presbyterian already. <laughs> so you know, uh, you know, we just want to say up front, we're not Roman Catholic. We're not becoming Roman Catholic. This isn't intended to be like a, a paved pathway to Roman Catholicism. We we appreciate um, many of the the writings and and uh, gifts that Roman Catholic theologians and pastors um, have have given to us. But we also want to clearly say. And we do this in the manifesto. We also want to clearly say, well, look, we're Protestants and we're not ashamed about it. We're not trying to give up that. We're not trying to be wishy-washy about it. We affirm the five sole. We think we don't think Roman Catholics do in a, in a way that's, um, well, they don't affirm them, but also even in what they do affirm, it's not close enough to the five sole for us to say we're anywhere near the same page on this stuff. So, you know, just to clear the air on that piece, uh, we're not trying to pave a pathway to Rome from Nashville. Right. Um, Anything else you want to clarify? Yeah. Or, or to Canterbury, right? I mean, I, I or to Canterbury. That, yeah. That's the other question that we often get that basically people think that we're just sort right. of Baptist pretending to be Anglican uh, right. or something like that. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think people, I know a lot of Anglicans who are pretending to be Baptist. So no, that's true too. Yeah. Um, that they would never admit it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Baptists are always the, the easy whipping boy. Um, but um, but it, w- one thing that I just think we need to express that maybe pe- don't, don't, that doesn't always come through to people is that we are convictionally Baptist. Like we really, right. we're really Baptist. <laughs> you know, like we, we, I'm more Baptist know. than you are, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> like we, you know, we, we read deeply in the 17th century uh, origins of the Baptist movement. We've written on it this whole shelf right here. 
Yeah. Baptist. Matt, Matt is, you know, even teaches a class on Baptist history. Um, you know, and, you know, we've both written on Baptist theology from a historical perspective. This so, shelf, not Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, we're, we're, we really mean it whenever we say we're not giving up on our Baptist distinctives. We really believe in a believer's church. We'll come, we'll come to this in the manifesto. We really believe in believers only baptism. Right. Um, even in some ways that, that has kind of offended some other Christians who look at us and say, well, can you really uh, try to, you know, uh, affirm Catholicity if you don't affirm the validity of infant baptism? I mean, that's a question. It's a right. valid question. It's a question that we need to wrestle with. Right. Uh, but the, the point is to say, we kind of get it from both sides on this, right? We, we hear, you know, some Baptists are worried or they get nervous about the Catholicity language. They worry that we're not um, preserving, you know, our own Baptist identity. But then on the other hand, we, we have people from other denominations who say, well, you're just, you're still too Baptist. Right. Right. Um, and we're trying to say, we, we've tried to say from the beginning um, that we were super Baptist. <laughs> no. We're trying to say in some ways, and Matt even wrote a blog post about this, but it's something we've talked about a lot over the years um, that you don't have to leave. I mean, that part of it, part of our impetus in, in kind of raising this banner of Baptist Catholicity is to say to people, because we've both known people, we both have, have um, I mean, it's, it's probably in, you know, over a dozen people, uh, or it could, could, could be way more than that. I don't know. I haven't kept count, but of conversations I've had with people uh, over the years who um, are, are curious and sometimes all the way to converting to other traditions, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, Anglicanism, and not, although those three aren't all, you know, synonymous, right? I mean, because Anglicans, are, of course, are Protestants, but uh, Constantinople curious, Catholic curious, Canterbury curious, right? And so, and that you know, we we don't begrudge anyone's spiritual journey. I mean, if pe- people you know have to follow their own conscience and 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 their own convictions and so on, um, but we do want to say to our students and to other Baptists who may may listen in that if you want to be um, deep in the history of the church, if you want to have a value, to place value on tradition, on liturgy, on uh, the sacraments and their centrality to Christian spirituality, if you want to, to, to accept all of the riches of church history and all of the riches of the contemporary church as well as your own, as your own patrimony, your own heritage, you don't have to become something else in order to do that. Right. John Henry Newman famously said that to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Um, and obviously we don't believe that's true, but actually there are quite a few Protestants who would adopt a version of that and say, well, to be deep in history may not mean that you cease to be Protestant, but it sure means, surely means that you would cease to be Baptist. <laughs> and what we're trying to say is no, actually, actually that's not the case. Right. And there are historical reasons for that, that we've spelled out in some of our writings. And actually, if you go back to the earliest Baptists, they were expressing the faith uh, uh, in terms of the Trinity and Christology and other areas in ways that were consistent with, and and sometimes even directly appealing to the medieval scholastics, uh, the reformers, the medieval scholastics and the church fathers uh, before them. So so there is a precedent for this sort of thing, for Baptists to be deep in history. In fact, that's how it was in, in the first century of the movement. 
Yeah. So that's what we're trying to say. You don't have to leave. You may leave. I mean, may, right. maybe people leave, and you know, we're not trying. We're not going to lock anybody down and and keep them Baptist. But we want we want to at least lead out front and say, hey, here's an example. We're people who have thought about these things deeply, and we're not going anywhere. We're staying Baptist, but right. we we want to appreciate the whole church down through the centuries and even across the world today. So right. You don't have to leave. That's one thing. Yep. Amen. Okay, we're running out of time. So two quick questions. Question number one, quick thoughts on Brian Harson, new head coach of Auburn University football. <laughs> yeah, this is where people will tune out. Uh, but uh, it was time for a change. It was, it was a, a few Amen. years. Last time for a change. Amen. Uh, get a fresh perspective from out west, proven head coach, did a couple of different spots. I think it's a, I think it's a great hire. I agree. Uh, okay. So tell me, tell me a book or something that you've read recently that has nothing to do with what we're talking about that you love slash uh, would recommend. Yeah. I mean, I guess in, in some ways this has nothing to do with, uh, with theology or Baptist retrieval or whatever, but I, I've been reading recently uh, Shakespeare's uh, Julius Caesar uh, and, and it's, nerd alert. Right. Uh, I mean, it is in a sense retrieving a classic uh, of, of Western literature. Yeah. Uh, but man, what what powerful uh, verse and and character development? I mean, obviously the ma- the master of the English language. Uh, we need we need to remind ourselves of 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 those classics and steep ourselves in the the, the language of that. So I, that's one mm. thing I've been reading lately. How about you? Yeah, I just finished Jack by Marilyn Robinson. Uh, it's it's fantastic. It's the best um, novel portrayal of grace, conversion, new life, repentance. It's fantastic. If you haven't read the other Gilead books, don't start with that one because it won't make any sense. But um, I love all those books. This is the best one in my opinion. Um, It has a lot to teach us about who God is. I'll also Mm -hmm. say, just just because you brought up Shakespeare, I'll just also say this. Uh, Off and on, I've been reading um, the Iliad. And it's it's really interesting uh, in the context of teaching in a liberal arts institution where our students all have to take a Western civilization sequence. They've all got to read portions of the Iliad and stuff like this. Um, So I want to, you know, I read it back in high school, but wanted to revisit it it's really interesting to read that in the context of reading a lot about the doctrine of God, right? So you get all these accusations of Hellenization and it's, it's really in some ways quite the opposite when you, when you think about um, Greco Roman mythology and I recognize that philosophers, Greek philosophers were also reacting against that, but um, yeah, it's just an interesting piece of lit to consider while you're also talking about the doctrine of God a lot. Okay. Well, we're way out of time. Hope you'll join us for the next episode until then. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the father and the presence of the Holy spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.